ein Festberg ist unser Gott. Ein Festberg ist unser Gott. Now I'm not speaking in tongues, I'm not looking for an interpretation. I am trying to speak German. There's one German among us, or multilingual Filipino, who's really happy about that. <laughs> Used to do translation at United Nations, so she's excited. She understood right away. However, the song that we just sang is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The original title was in German, and it was Ein Feist Berg ist unser Gott. That song was written 500 years ago by Martin Luther, a German monk. And it was written based off of Psalm 46, where I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles right now. If you don't have a copy of uh, God's Word, you can uh, just raise your hand as our ushers are coming up and down the aisle uh, right now. We're going to be studying Psalm 46. Martin Luther turned to Psalm 46 and wrote this hymn at a season in his life where it seemed like his world was falling apart. He grew up in the church he actually became a, a, a monk, a, a priest, and, and a, a, a seminary professor teaching the Bible. And as he was studying the Bible and learning about the Bible, he looked at what the Catholic Church was teaching, and he looked at what the Word of God said, and said, this isn't the same. These things don't line up. Do, do the leaders of, of our church realize that what they're teaching is actually not from the Bible? And so Martin Luther thought that these leaders, the Pope and the archbishops, that, that of course if he would reason with them and share with them what he's learning in God's word, that of course they would come to agree with him. And so he got invited to this place called Worms, or, or Worms, and you can guess that when you go to a place like that, it's not going to end well uh, when you're invited to a city with a name like that. And he was expecting to be able to reason with his leaders, with, with his church where he grew up, where he loved to worship. But at the end of what really turned into a trial, a, a legal proceeding, Martin Luther was forced to recant what he, what he was teaching. And he said, I can't recant of that because it's from God's word. And he was excommunicated from his church by the, uh, by the Pope. Not only that, as Charles V, who was the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, the, the political ruler made him an outlaw at the time. Martin Luther's world at that moment in time was literally falling apart. Everything that he understood and trusted in and believed in the past from a worldly perspective, his, his, his politicians, his leaders, his, his church, they had all abandoned him. They had all ostracized him. And he turned to Psalm 46. This is what Martin Luther had to say about this beautiful psalm. He said, we sing this psalm to the praise of God. Because he is with us, powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. This was one of Luther's favorite psalms that inspired him to write, A Mighty Fortress is our God. Let's take a look at it together. Psalm 46 says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word. And God, as we have just read what you inspired by the Holy Spirit, these psalmists to record, Lord, what, what you have used throughout a centuries to encourage and challenge and bless your people, Lord, I pray right now that you would be present with us. Lord, and that you would speak. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would be with my heart, Lord, that you would protect me from pride, from arrogance, from being wise in my own eyes, Lord. Father, I also pray that you would protect me from fear, from shying away, from saying what your word says and declaring the whole counsel of God. Lord, I pray that you would be with my mouth, that you would protect me from, uh, from error, from, from saying something that, that does not align with what your word says. And Father, I pray that you would be with the ears of everyone who can hear my voice, Lord, that you would give them a mind to understand, that you would give them a heart to believe, that you would give them a will to follow, to obey, and to trust. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be present here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What we're going to see from God's word today is that God's presence is a source of strength and security in every situation. Martin Luther found himself in a very difficult situation 500 years ago. And God's word and his presence proved to be a source of strength and security for him in that situation. And now here we are five centuries later and a room this size has a number of different struggles and situations that each individual is facing. And God is present with you to provide security and strength for you in whatever you are facing. Taking a look at this psalm, as we read it, you'll notice that there are three selahs. And so that really marks for us what the three stanzas of the poem are and what the three points of our message will be today, all related to the presence of God providing strength and security. You'll also notice that verse 7 and verse 11 are exactly the same. And that's sort of like the chorus of the song. It's like a refrain that the, that the singers keep coming back to. And with those by means of a sort of a structural understanding for, for an introduction, let's dive into what the psalmist says. It says, begins by saying, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, we've already talked about them as we've been studying this section of the book of Psalms, going sequentially through this incredible songbook within the Bible. 
We, we, we've been introduced to the sons of Korah. They were the doorkeepers in the house of God. We know that from the book of Numbers. But we also know from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that they were also worship leaders in the days of Jehoshaphat. They stood up and led the people in praise at a, in a time of crisis. But then we're introduced to a word we haven't seen yet in our study of the book of Psalms. It says, according to the Alamoth. Last week we learned about it according to the lilies. That was probably a melody. The footnote in my Bible says that Alamoth was probably some sort of musical or liturgical term. But as I studied that word a little bit more, that the word actually means young woman. And, and, and Alamoth is, 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 a, is a young woman. And I, I, listen, I don't, I don't, I don't want to interpret too much into what, what this little uh, introductory note says here. But isn't it interesting that in a moment of crisis... When it seems like the world is falling apart, God calls upon the young women to, to stay. This, this was their song. They were to stand up and to sing this to the rest of the congregation to find strength and encouragement in the presence of God. We're going to see three things today that we can rely on and know and trust in from this beautiful psalm. Here's the first one. We can be courageous because of God's protection. We can be courageous because of God's protection. Verse 1 says God is our refuge and strength. He is our protection. A refuge is a place that is elevated and inaccessible. When, when, we, when we hide ourselves in God, when we run to him, he hides us in a place that is elevated and that is inaccessible. He puts us up and away, out of harm. Our enemy can't strike us from where we are, and the enemy can't even get to us to try to strike us. God is a refuge. He is a protector. But he doesn't just simply hide us away so that we, we, we sit there and do nothing. No, he is a refuge, but he is also a strength. So he protects us, but he also empowers us to go out into the battle, to find strength in him, to see his victory won, not as we passively watch, but as he chooses to use us to accomplish his purpose. He is a refuge and he is a strength. And then I love this, a very present help in trouble. A very present help or a well Proved. To be a very present means that he's easy to find. This isn't one of those, where are you God, Psalms. He's very present. Oh, I need God in this situation. Oh, there he is. He's right there. Or there's a problem. There's a crisis. God. Oh, oh sorry. You're, you're, I didn't realize you were there. He's very present. He's, he's always there. He's easy to find in times of trouble. Verse 1 begins with a statement about God, and then verse 2, this is the application. Therefore, we will not fear. That's why the point is that we can be courageous because of God's protection. We will not fear. We will not fear. And then what the psalmist does is he describes poetically really the worst case scenario. He says, we shall not fear, though the earth gives way, even though the world is falling apart, he says. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Here we have an image of mountains, the symbol of being immovable, a symbol, a sign of strength and security and stability. That's what, what mountains stand for. Any culture, any language, a mountain is a sign of strength, stability, and security. 
And then you have water, which especially in the ancient Near East, you have water which is a, a menacing, chaotic, restless substance that's, that's unstable and unpredictable and associated with evil. So you have these two images, uh, the mountain which, which shows security and then the water which shows instability and evil. And do you understand what's happening here? The symbol of stability is being all-encompassed and enveloped and, 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 and really destroyed by the symbol for chaos. This is really a, a reversal of Genesis chapter 1, is it? I mean, in Genesis chapter 1, it's sort of like God is taming the water. Day 2, he creates the expanse. He separates the water from the water. And then on day three, he creates the dry ground so that human beings have a place to inhabit. Humans can't survive in water. We don't have gills. We don't have fins. And so God was creating an environment where human beings can thrive and survive. So he creates the expanse. He creates the dry land so that humans can have a stable and secure place to live. But now all of that is being reversed. The mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. They are trembling at the swelling of this massive flood. The psalmist's world is falling apart. What's happening in your world right now? You watch, you watch the news, you think about even our, our, the, the physical world, our surrounding environment, wildfires and earthquakes and floods and hurricanes. It seems as though the very fabric of creation is being torn apart right before our eyes. And then on a societal level, when we think about things that are happening in our culture and we think that our, 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 the corruption and the incompetence of our politicians and our rulers, and it seems like our, our world is falling apart, and then what's being taught in our schools and, 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 our, and the philosophies and the teachings of our, in, in higher learning and what's being uh, spread in our culture with, with relationship to what it means to be a man or to be a woman or what it means to be married or the sanctity of life, all of these things, it seems like our world is coming apart at the seams. But let's get, let's get a little closer to home. Maybe, maybe you are experiencing your own physical health falling apart or the, the physical health of someone who you love and, and the simple thing of just being able to put one foot in front of the other or put food into your mouth or oxygen into your lungs. These were things that you took for granted for yourself or for someone who you love and now you see them laboring just to, just to accomplish normal everyday tasks and this is something that you look to. This is someone that you look to as a source of security and strength and stability and you're, you're seeing you're seeing this disintegrate right before your eyes and, and you're wondering is my world falling apart maybe maybe it's an economic crisis an unexpected bill or a, a, a loss of a job and, and you had this steady source of income and then all of a sudden out of nowhere there's, there's more bill than there is money 
And that sense of security that, come, that came from having a regular paycheck and being able to meet your needs is now entering you into that chaotic realm. That flood is overwhelming you. Or maybe you've stumbled morally. Maybe you've sinned and have been caught and now you are reaping what you have sown and the consequences of your sin are before your face all of the time and the people around you have been alienated and discouraged because of your behavior and you're trying to trust God to put together the pieces but you feel like your world is falling apart. God's presence provides strength and security in every situation. I just described a number of situations. Psalm 46 describes the worst possible scenario. The, the world is imploding on itself. Evil is overtaking that which is good and secure. And then after painting this horrific picture, the psalmist says, Selah. Just just stop. Selah means to lift up. Just take your hands off the instrument. Just lift up your eyes to the sky and, and just think for a moment. What is happening in your world? And how can God show himself faithful as a source of security and strength? How can you be courageous in the present situation where you find yourself in? Knowing that God is with you. So we can be courageous because of God's protection. Here's the second one. We can be glad because of God's presence. We can be glad because of God's presence. Verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The city of God. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. He's talking about a river flowing through the city of Jerusalem. Hugo, Hugo and Ruth, they're part of our, our small group. We love them dearly. They just had a, a trip uh, to Israel, and, and we're hoping to have them over to show some, some photos. Just, just a quick show of hands. If you visited the Holy Land, just put up your hands if you've got some, some photos. Just, just a handful of us have been there. If you've got a photo of that, that big river that flows right through the, right through the city of, of Jerusalem, does anyone have a, have a, have a, have a photo of, of, of the river, you know, that... In Jerusalem, see the, the Psalm 46, the river, does that, no, no one has a picture of the river because there is no river. You might have a picture of the Jordan River, but that's several miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem ain't got no river, yo. And so either this psalmist is geographically challenged, or he's talking about something that flows a lot deeper than just a physical river, isn't he? And Jerusalem didn't have a river. There, there, there was the Gihon Spring uh, up north that flowed, that filled the, the pool of Siloam. Hezekiah dug a tunnel, a famous tunnel, that you can actually, if you visit Jerusalem, you can actually crawl through. I don't know why anyone would want to do that, but you can do that. But there was no river. In fact, Jerusalem was vulnerable to attack because they didn't have a fresh source of water. A Sennacherib, when, when he had, in the days of Hezekiah, when he had Jerusalem surrounded before God came through, one of his, one of his, one of his soldiers mocked the people of Jerusalem. And do you know what they said? It's a little crude, forgive me, but it's in the Bible, so it's okay. 
One of, one of the military rulers in the Assyrian army mocked the people of God and said, you will have to drink your own urine. Word for word, that's what it says in the Bible. Because they didn't have a source of water. And the idea was, we're just going to place this city under siege and we're just going to wait. Little did they know that the next day God was going to wipe them out and send them home. But Jerusalem was vulnerable because they didn't have a river. But here in Psalm 46, we, we're, there's this vivid picture of a river and that it makes glad the city of God. There is this sense of joy even though there's all of this chaos. Notice how in verses 1 to 3, the water's totally out of control. It's destroying the mountains. It's making the earth shake. But here you have this river where the water, I mean, the, the banks are there, and it's just flowing right through the city. Well, listen, loved ones, the river is a symbol for the presence of God. These people knew that they needed something. They needed something more, even, then, even more than something that we fundamentally need, like water. There is a thirst that we need more than our thirst for water. It's the presence of God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, in the, in the Garden of Eden, in the presence of God, it says a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. God's presence was in Eden. There was a river there. Psalm 46, in the city of God, there is a river. It's the presence of God. Ezekiel 47, 1 to 9. This is Ezekiel. Uh, uh, an angel is sort of giving him a tour of the new temple at the end of Ezekiel. He says, then he brought me. Back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple. Everything will live where the river goes. So he's in the city of Jerusalem. He has this vision of this new temple, and flowing out of the temple, and into the streets of the city, and then out into the seas. And this river is spreading life. Joel, the prophet, picked up on this as well. A fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. This fountain didn't exist. But Ezekiel prophesied it. Joel prophesied about it. Uh, uh, furthermore, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 8, on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 46, and then all of these prophecies are, are signs of the presence of God. And then ultimately, I mean, we started way back in Genesis, and then ultimately at the end of Revelation, we return to the beautiful garden city. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Present day Jerusalem doesn't have a river. But the new Jerusalem in the new heavens and earth has a river that flows from the throne of God, from the presence of God. And so, loved ones, this is what Psalm 46 is describing, that God was with his people there in the city of Jerusalem. He was with them. And that we look forward to one day being in that new Jerusalem, in the presence of God, benefiting from the joy of having access to this glorious river. But there is something, loved ones, even more powerful and profound. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 7, verse 38, he said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, after Jesus died as a substitute for our sin, after he was sacrificed on our behalf to bear the punishment that we deserve for our sin, if we believe in him, if we place our faith in him, then Jesus said, a river will flow out of our hearts. God no longer is just centralized geographically to show favor to one city and the people living in that city. 
No, God is decentralized. God has said, no, I am going to dwell in the hearts of every person who believes in me. So it doesn't matter what kind of chaos is happening all around of us. That inside our hearts there is the river of the presence of God. The Holy Spirit that indwells us. That enables us to be glad and joyful even when our world is falling apart. And I love what it says in verse 5. Talking about the city. And remember, whenever you're talking about the city of Jerusalem, just think about your own life. Because the city of Jerusalem, that was the dwelling place of God. Now your own heart is the dwelling place of God. I love this. It says... God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of you. He's in the midst of me. She shall not be moved. I love that. You know why I love that line? She shall not be moved in verse 5? Because back in verse 2, the mountains were being moved into the heart of the sea. Even though the mountains were being moved, the city will not be moved. Even though the mountains are being moved, you yourself, as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, will not be moved. And then I love how verse 5 ends, God will help her when morning dawns. The psalmist is saying, you know what, I know, it's, I know it's dark right now, but dawn is coming. You know, unless you're living up in Alaska somewhere, you're always, you know, 12 to 14 hours away from dawn, aren't you? No matter how dark it is, even if you're in the, the middle of a harsh, cold Canadian winter, you're just a matter of hours before dawn. And there's a sense of hope that light is coming. And the psalmist speaks with regards to that hope as well. That you may be going through something difficult, but dawn is coming. You might be in the darkness, but light is indeed coming. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. The earth, sorry, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth Melt. I love that. The nations are gathered. All the kingdoms are there. They're tottering and they're raging and they're huffing and puffing and, and trying to show their power and their strength. And God utters his voice. All he has to do is speak. And the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. God's presence is our source of strength and security in every situation. We can find joy because we know that God is with us. Then look at verse 10. He says, come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Here's the, here's the third truth that we can trust in from this psalm. The third one is this. We can be still because of God's plan. We can be still because of God's plan. There's two commands that are given in this, in this final stanza. The first one is there in verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. Come and see. Come and observe what God is doing and is going to do. It says he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. God is going to bring peace. Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. And so peace is coming. But how is he going to bring about peace? He's not going to bring about peace by appeasement. He's not going to bring about peace by negotiating or mediating or coming to a compromise or sly diplomacy. No, he's going to, be, 
He's going to bring peace by conquest. Look at verse 9. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He takes all the aircraft carriers and all of the tanks and all of the nuclear weapons and he snaps them like twigs. He takes all of our weapons, everything that we would be trusting in, and he conquers all the power of these armies. This is what Christ is coming to do when he returns. He will, he, listen, he will ultimately conquer all human power. And so we can be still because of God's plan. This is God's ultimate plan. So we, be, we behold his works, that he's going to bring peace, and he's going to bring peace by being a conquering king. And then we're told in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Now I want to be really careful with verse 10, because verse 10 is what we call a coffee mug verse. I'm pretty sure at least 50% of us right now have in our cupboard somewhere a coffee mug and written on the coffee mug is Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And the idea is that we get out our cup of coffee and we get our Bible and we turn on some worship music and we just take a few minutes, we have a quiet time and we, and we just be still and know that I am God. Now I want to be careful because I don't want you to go home and smash your coffee mug, okay? It's a nice mug. I'm not telling you to stop trying to be still, to have those quiet moments with God. But we need to understand that Psalm 46 verse 10 comes in a context, doesn't it? How can we be still? We can be still by knowing that God is the conquering king who's going to make peace on the earth. So even though you might not be experiencing peace in your everyday situation, you know that peace is coming. You know that he will wipe away every tear, that his dwelling place will be with us, that we will be able to delight in that river in the new Jerusalem, so we can indeed be still. But we also need to understand that, that verse 10 doesn't end with, know that I am God. God goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. And so yes, we need to be still and take a moment and settle down and quiet ourselves and hear from God. But we need to understand that when we settle down and quiet ourselves to hear from God, he's going to tell us something. He's going to tell us that he will be exalted in the nations. He's going to tell us, hey, remember what my son said before he went up to heaven. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, the Christian life is not just about me getting some peace and quiet. The Christian life is not just about having a, a tranquil, calm, quiet life. No, that's not the world we live in. We live in a chaotic world, don't we? We live in a broken world, don't we? But we are called to be still, to know that he's God, that he has a plan, and to understand and recognize that we have a part in that plan. That we have been called and commanded to make disciples of all nations. To tell the world, because be still and know that I am God is not just a word to Christians to live a more contemplative life. No, it is a warning for the whole world, isn't it? It's a warning for those who are living in rebellion against God to say, you know what, that, that, that big sword that you're carrying, that God's going to break that in half. That chariot that you're trusting in, he's going to light that up and burn it. it. It's a warning to those who are rebelling against God and who are using their power to, to oppress other people. It's a warning to those people. It's also a warning 
to those people who think by their good deeds, God will somehow be impressed with them. And so that God would exalt them. No, that's not how it works. God will be exalted. You won't be exalted for your good deeds. God will be exalted. And so, loved ones, the, the command to be still is a command to the rebel who's running away from God. God says to them, be still. It's a command to the legalistic person who's trying to impress God. God says, just be still. And it's a command to us with all of our fear and worry and anxiety. He says, be still. You know, Jesus fell asleep on a boat one day and there was a big storm. A storm that for the disciples felt a lot like the storm in Psalm 46. Waves crashing all around. There's utter chaos and they wake him up. Don't you care that we're drowning? And what did Jesus say to the wind and the waves? Be still. Be still. We are called to be still and know that he is God. What are we to know about him as God? The answer is in the final refrain, verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Two ways God describes himself in this refrain that's repeated in verse 7 and verse 11. First one is that he's the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Sabaoth. The, the older uh, versions of a mighty fortress of our God has, rather than the, the Lord of hosts is he, it's the Lord Sabaoth is, is he. It means the, the God of armies. So the Lord of hosts describes the, the mightiness of God, that he is mighty, that he has more power than we could ever imagine. And then the second half of the refrain says, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So God is mighty, but then the, the mention of the name Jacob is an interesting one. Doesn't mention the God of Abraham, doesn't mention the God of Isaac, it zeroes in on the God of Jacob. Abraham was known for his great faith, leaving everything behind. Isaac was known for his incredible obedience, following his father up Mount Moriah, count, carrying the very wood that would be used for his sacrifice. I mean, radical obedience. But what is Jacob known for? The name Jacob means grasper of the heel. Someone who would trip you when you're trying to just walk beside them. Someone who would betray you. Someone who would try to, to look out for number one. Jacob was known for manipulating his elderly blind father and defrauding his older brother. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He was the greasiest grit grinder you would ever meet. And Jacob did nothing but look out for himself. He didn't love his neighbor. He didn't love God. He loved himself. But God is the God of Jacob. Because God is a God who is patient, who is merciful, who is gracious, who is forgiving. And by the time we get to the end of Jacob's life, there's a radical transformation in how Jacob views the world, how he views himself, and most importantly, how he views God. You see, we serve a God who's the Lord of hosts. He is mighty, but he's the God of Jacob. He's merciful. He's patient with us, even though we try to run from him. He loves us and restores us and forgives us. This is the God that we seek refuge from, that we seek strength from, that we run to as our fortress. A God who is mighty and a God 
who is merciful. Now the clearest picture in all of biblical history of the mightiness of God and the mercy of God is shown at the cross of Jesus Christ. This is where we see his incredible power. Christ let, throwing himself into the watery chaos of this evil world and being crucified and killed by wicked and evil men but then being raised again three days later, the mightiness of God, the Lord of hosts. But all of that for the purpose that Christ would take our blame, that he would bear our punishment, that he would suffer in our place so that we could be forgiven. The cross shows the mightiness of God, but loved ones, the cross also shows the mercy of God. It shows the presence of God. Psalm 46 continually says, God is with us. God is with us. The city is his holy habitation. He is very present. When Christ came, Matthew chapter 1, is he, he was called Emmanuel. When Christ left in Matthew 28 and ascended to the Father, he says, surely I am with you always. Christ is that ultimate picture of being with us. He is mighty. He is merciful. He is our refuge and our strength. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 46. We thank you that for centuries, different believers, Lord, facing different crises, different situations, have found and heard your voice speaking to them through this beautiful psalm. Lord, I pray for those who feel as though their world is falling apart right now. I pray that you would bring them to the cross, the place of refuge, the place of strength and security. Lord, draw each of us close to you now, Lord. May we know that you are with us. May that river of life flow from our hearts so that we could be courageous and joyful even in the midst of difficulty. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.